Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, today it is my pleasure to have Will Quigley on the podcast. Welcome, Will. Jeremy, thanks for having me. Will is actually, he went from intern to regional vice president of sales for the mid-market at Seismic. So pretty amazing journey through the last eight years to, to make that progression. So we'll be talking a little bit about the lessons that he's learned along the way. Of course, uh, I'm sure you've all heard of Seismic, but they are one of the leaders in the sales enablement space. And uh, before we get into that, I was cyber stalking you as I was prepping to talk with you today. And I noticed you had a, a pretty cool giving back side hustle over the course of the last year or two. So what, what was keeping you busy besides helping your team outside of work? Yeah, man, it was a uh, it was a great year at Seismic. Another record shattering year. A lot of fun with that. But the highlight of my 2021 was uh, the coaching gig that I picked up back at my public high school. I was the defensive backs coach in Marblehead High, and uh, we had an undefeated season. We won the state championship. It's quite the ride. Wow! Wow! Congrats. So, what what's that like coaching? I don't know. You like you thought you think you're so grown up in high school, and then you look at high school kids, and they look so young. What's it like coaching those kids? It's so true. Um, it was fantastic on so many different levels. And to be completely honest, I never thought I'd be able to pull it off. It was the first year I was really able to dedicate the time. I'd moved back into a sales management role, a little bit more flexibility with COVID. Uh, when I was an individual contributor, I was traveling maybe a hundred nights a year. So it wasn't really you know back in Boston or close to my hometown. But the opportunity popped up because of COVID. One of my old high school coaches, actually our head coach, reached out to me saying, hey, we need guys. You know, I know you're local. Is there any chance you could pull this off? And I said, I don't think so with my full-time sales role, but I want to ask Ed, who's my CRO, if we could add any flexibility. And he loved the idea. He's a coach himself. He's been one of my best coaches and mentors and told me to go for it and go all in. So Four to six o'clock, Monday through Friday, throughout the entire fall was dedicated to that team. And uh, it was an absolute blast. Maybe this is too much of a softball question and, and too transparent of a segue, but what parallels would you draw between coaching people in football and coaching sellers to sell more effectively? There's so many, as you can imagine. I think first and foremost, it helped my team a lot at Seismic because they knew from four to six every single day that... I wasn't going to be able to answer any questions or hop on calls. They were relying on each other, getting extremely close as a team, which I love to see. It made me adapt and start coaching in different ways. I was waking up a little bit earlier and starting my my seismic day. And then for an hour back to my commute to Marblehead, my hometown, you know, spending on calls or, you know, coaching on the phone in the car and then on my way back as well. So it was it was just a different way of doing business and work and you know a lot of slack, but I've never put my phone down and sacrificed those hours. So I learned a lot about myself as a worker, which was interesting. But the parallels as well, I learned so much from the different coaches on my team in football, just their style, you know, their dedication, the way that they use, you know, tools like film and broke it down and, and use that to make themselves and the team better. You know, there's so many parallels to watching film and using tools like chorus and gong and applying that to your to your teams and you know I could go on and on but I definitely became a better coach and manager this year because of this experience 
What do you think about on, on like, you know, the, the watching call thing? And maybe this exists in professional sports. I, I don't I don't watch. I was going to say consume sports, which tells you already that I'm <laughs> not super knowledgeable. But, you know, you've got all this advanced AI that is is analyzing all kinds of data. What do you think about just an AI analyzing could be sports to, to recommend better, th- you know, better ways of doing things, but AI to analyze calls and interactions and so on. Like, do you feel that we're at or near the point where that would be a suitable substitute for, you know, a sales leader watching and coaching? Yeah, it's interesting. I think data is everywhere in sports. I go back to reading Moneyball and watching that movie, you know, whether that came out, I think it was about 10 years ago, but so to answer your question around AI, I mean, definitely. When I went to college and played football in college, I was watching dozens of hours of film a week, whether it was based on my technique or the upcoming opponent. So I was already obsessed with film going into my sales career. So being able to utilize that tool, like the you know the gongs and the chorus of the world, one of my favorite in my stack for those exact reasons, like using it for coaching opportunities, but also as a seller and individual contributor is fantastic. On this coaching it, there was also a, a poll that one of my friends who works in sales enablement posted today. Her name is uh, Rena Ambai. She used to work at Sales Loft. She wrote uh, a poll, a LinkedIn poll question today, and she said, is receiving feedback always valuable? I thought it was a fascinating question. And in fact, the, the response is she's gotten quite a lot of votes is, is a split nearly 50-50, statistically about 50-50. Where do you come down on that question? It's a great question. I think I'm I don't want to choose one, right? I think I'm 50-50 also. I think I've had so much constructive feedback in my life, whether it's through you know sports or myself as a coach or individual contributor that's been super helpful. I've also received some really tough criticism, especially back to those football days that might affect my my mental health or performance. Like getting that bad feedback, it's tough on some people. And you think about a coach, like every single one of my eight reps is so different. So the feedback that I have to give them and the way that they're coached and the way that they can take feedback is very different as well. I think about myself as a sales manager, the way I give feedback is based off how my reps respond to it. And I think it's very similar for you know my RVP and CRO. I think you can coach everyone the same way. So you, you, know, you mentioned that all eight of your reps are different in terms of how they like to be coached. I once worked for someone who said you should kind of ask people how they like to receive feedback. Is that you know, something that's part of part of your routine? Or h- how do you figure out what those individuals are, are going to best respond to? Yeah, I go back to about two years ago now, when I was an individual contributor for a few years, and I walked back into my first management role from, you know, I was an inside sales manager for a while, but it's very different than being an AE manager. So one thing that I did just a ton of when I walked into that role was a lot of listening and understanding who they are there as a rep, their strengths, their weaknesses, you know, going back to the coach, like listening to those calls on gong or course or whatnot, and really digging in and seeing what their style is and trying to adapt to them and understanding whether it's previous bosses or people who they work with, asking them how they like to be coached, how do they respond, um, using my internal partners to understand that. So, you know, if you're a new manager starting out, I think the best thing that you can do is listen and adapt to those players. My SVP of sales was phenomenal at doing that for me. And I know she has different styles with different employees. And that was really cool for me to see as well. So I've taken personally bits and pieces from good managers I've had and bad managers I've had and try to make that my own. I think that's super important for any new manager to hear. 
who is the best manager you ever had and what did you learn from them? It's pretty cliche, but it's it's my CRO, it's Ed, because I've been around him for eight years now and he's just he's the most human person that I've worked with in sales because if you talk to him, it's gonna be about music or sports or helping and mentoring and coaching. And then we'll get into sales, but he jobs on any call if he was talking to us. You just you get that vibe that he's very human, but also at someone at their level, someone who will get in the nitty gritty with you in deals, do what you ask, you know, happy to mentor and do all those things. And then I would say the second was my head coach in high school, Jim Rudloff, just because he broke his back for me to get into college and almost sell me to different universities and schools and trusted me a lot, helped me get into uh, to Brown University in Providence and play there, which is my dream school. So I'd say those two having my back meant a lot to me. Well, you mentioned a couple of the great managers you had. Without naming names, what are th- some things that poor managers have done what, that didn't work for you? I've learned everything from every... I mean, I've learned something from every manager that I've had. Even those bad managers, sometimes I learn a ton from. Some of the biggest things I've seen from poor managers, whether you know it's other organizations and what I hear from you know friends who are in sales worlds as well, is that they don't I go back to adapting to the style or they tell people what the style is and what their new playbook is based off them being the leader of that organization. And, you know, taking bits and pieces from other coaches, I go back to, you know, the listening, but also, you know, when I started out as a new manager, I had a lot of success as an individual individual contributor, which was credible to my team, but also I want to make sure that I tell them how to sell or tell them what you know, they should be doing every single organization. I say, here's what my playbook was. And here are the different plays that I ran throughout the sales cycle and the buyer journey, you know, make these your own. And, you know, I think that's definitely resonated with the folks that I've worked with. You know, I hear that from, you know, tons of AEs at different companies who say that they have a poor boss making them do something. And I don't want to use the term micromanager, but it's absolutely like the people who can be very human as their roles as managers you know, tend to be the most successful. And I try to be as human as possible in my reps at all times. You'd mentioned, you know, plays and playbooks. And as I look at your history, you know, at, at Seismic, right? Number one inside salesperson, 156% of quota, president's club, you know, year after year after year. Like what are some of the the things that you did in order to be successful in your roles? What are some of the plays you ran? Yeah, every year it's wildly, completely different because Seismic's a different company every year and I have so many different internal partners. You got you to think through, and the best analogy I can give, I always call it you know, 3D chess. You have all these internal partners, you have these outside tools and resources. So how can you utilize everything at your disposal to help you know, continue to move deals along or you know, continue to, to make the most of your day? And something I've done really well is just my internal brands, um, you know, putting time on different leaders' calendars, what are you doing effectively? You know, mentoring people, being a really good teammate and team player throughout. And I have the fortune of being a first 20 employee at Seismic, so I knew everyone for a while. You know, something I can contribute to is just understanding what the plays were in my arsenal, taking training and enablement really seriously, making those plays my own and utilizing the right partners at the right time to help me close more deals. Because in enterprise selling, it is absolutely not one person. It's not Will Quigley closing a deal. It's probably 20 to 30 people internally who are going to help me close that big deal. So getting really close to those people, being a good teammate to them, utilizing your tools and your resources the right way, 
that stack's going to change every single year and so is sales. But that's the best advice I have to you know everyone who throws time in my calendars, like build your personal brands, understand your tech stack, make the training your own and go. You hear a lot about account-based marketing or account-based selling. And I'm often hard pressed to find like really good surround sound examples of that. What, what are, you know, if you think about maybe a recent deal that you guys have done, what's a good example of where you think you put that account-based playbook into play? That's a great question. Really quick to touch on the external partners piece. Like that's so big for us in sales and marketing technology right now, as you can imagine that that MarTech 500, which is really 5 million companies, it feels like right now. There are so many great partners that we have as part of our ecosystem that can absolutely help us thread the needle. Like Sales Law has been one of them. Shout out to Corey Goldstein, Sean Southworth, all those guys that are listening. But you know, there's a ton of technologies that we integrate with who have sold to different CROs that I can collaborate with that have been fantastic. Like you said, I when I think of 3D chess, the internal partners with the external partners, if you can get close to those people, it's going to help you make more money. When it comes to ABM, I'll actually use an example from six years ago when I was a BDR. I worked really closely with our ABM manager, Zach McCauley, because we were friends and they had brought me in. The uh, AE on the time who I was supporting was working the GE account. And if you know GE at all, they're one of the biggest beasts in Boston. They had so many different industries, so many different CIOs and divisions and all that stuff. But we used our account-based marketing manager as the AE to help us map out, all right, what's the value to all these different accounts within GE? Who are the different CIOs? Who should Will be cold calling? And then what's the value going to be from a language perspective when we reach out to them as well as when we're on the calls? You know, This is what we're hearing from the different earnings statements and all that. So that's just an account-based marketing manager that I learned so much from. Like He taught me how to read a 10K in annual report and he taught me uh, the different language. So that's more global strategic accounts. We had an account-based manager, marketing manager who was literally in there with us supporting sales on those broader accounts through research data, messaging, all that stuff. I thought that was just the coolest example that I can give because we were successful because of him. Yeah. You got at something which is another kind of important trend out there. You know, now that you have sort of seen all the sides of the of enterprise deals, you know, a million different ways, who should do that research? Like who should build the account map uh, who should do the the 10K reading? Or maybe another way to put it is, can you have either a marketing person or an old school sales assistant or somebody do that research and then feed it to the AEs? Or should the AEs and BDRs actually do that research themselves so that they're better better informed? Yeah, I think so. But I think it goes back to as an AE, you got to be the the quarterback on every single deal. Like I feel like the AEs need to take that accountability and to understand those businesses inside now and get the inside sales rep on the same page and really teach them like, hey, here's how you should be understanding this annual report. This is why we're reaching out with this messaging and you know, be a coach to that AE and the different partners. But absolutely, we've seen it. I mean, we've gotten so much help from our ABM team and you know, different marketing folks on you know, that's that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, I, I really think AEs need to take accountability and know those businesses inside and out in their patch. How do you coach your reps to position your company versus, you know, competitors out there that, you know, if you're just looking at checklists of features and functionality, like, hey, eh, you probably, you know, going to check most of the boxes no matter which company you go with. 
Yeah, I think the first thing is to take the enablement and training very, very seriously. You know, as sellers, we always want to focus our day on closing as much business as possible and making as much money as possible. But I mean, at Seismic, as you can imagine, we have a fantastic training team and there's so much that they throw out there and educate us on. You know, those who who take all of that learning and really dedicate the time, energy, and resources into that are going to be more effective because A, they're going to understand everything that's happening with Seismic. We're investing so much in our product. It's changing all the time. So to be able to understand those wins and all the really cool features and functionality is super important. But also, you know, we go back to to externally, just understanding that organization. And not every company is going to have a 10K annual report. Like I sold in the mid-market this year, probably only 10 to 15 to 20% of them did. But there's other avenues. Like we talked about using your partners. Did anyone at sales lofts or, you know, whatever sell to that CRO? Like what's their style? What's the procurement process like? On LinkedIn, you can find out exactly what the company's sharing, their new products, their new SKUs. So being able to understand that language of the company, it's like a simple Google search and then simply reaching out to your partners and figuring that out as well. So I think it's dual prong there. We had a new amazing VP of sales operations who's now an EVP of operations at Seismic. He completely transformed our technology stack and our operations, everything we're doing to try to align to what our customers' buyers' journeys are. So that we're speaking their language is not you know, internal within our salesforce.com. What we're talking about is what they're talking about. And I thought that was super helpful to our reps. I, I do hear that mentioned a lot as kind of switching to a buyer-centric sales process. What legitimately has is the biggest change with that switchover? I think it's just a, a way of thinking, right? So for each rep to just reiterate, like these are the steps that are typical buyers. If you're speaking with a CRO versus a CMO, what they're thinking and what they care about and how they get things done internally in their buying process. So like we have different mutually agreed upon plans for if we're working with a CRO or a CMO or someone in operations suggestions that they should be making in their buying process. Cause we've done this with hundreds of others, you know, in similar roles and in industries. And that's our talk track. Like you're going to not only have to pick a vendor, but then you're going to have to go through InfoSec and then you're going to have to build this business case and send your CFO. You know, we've done that hundreds of times. So we understand it. So like, how can we help those different buyer personas get what they need to make the right decision, choose us as the right partner and then get the dollars because it's competitive. You just landed on one of my single favorite topics, which is mutual plans, mutual action plans, success plans. Um, I, I presume that's something that you expect and inspect of the sellers on your team since you since you brought it up. Is that Do you do that for every deal or is that only on selected deals? It's amazing because my first three-ish years in selling, I never used one. My current SVP of sales, she came from Marketo, which was much more advanced at that time. They'd you know, already done their IPO or whatnot, and they were just more advanced in their sales process. And she, I can remember my like first forecast call I was on with her. She was like, all right, what's your mutually agreed upon plan? Or what's the mutual plan? I said, what, are, what is that? And so we spent the rest of my one-on-one, her coaching me, like, this is a template you use, and this is how you align to their buyer's journey. It was so it's mind blowing to me, but it goes back to our earlier conversation of sales is changing every year. You can add so many different tools to your to your game, your playbook. And that's one that we've very effectively brought in since she came. And I try to tell my reps on every call, like, what is that plan? Because the data shows we are so much more effective and we're closing bigger deals when we do that. 
So that was a huge change I made about three years ago to try to bring it to every deal. What tool or technology do you use to do that? Is it just uh, a Google Sheet or do you use like a Quip or another tool in order to, to do those mutual plans? I've always just used a slide that I would bring into an interactive presentation. Like we got a great partnership with Microsoft, like we're born in their cloud and whatnot. So, you know, I always just use, I just use slides that I would bring into my decks. So like, you know, we're giving the presentation and at the end, there's the mutually agreed upon plan. I can quickly make edits, but it's interesting. Now I'm starting to see it's like a new technology space almost like, I don't know exactly what the tools were, but I think someone prospected me the other day and I thought that was fantastic. It's amazing just how many technologies are coming out for all these different things, right? Like I remember when I first started as a BDR, like even like sales loft and outreach, I would just save templates to a word doc, right? And now you can automate all this stuff. And I think all these plays are starting to become automated and everyone has these great ideas. But it's also interesting because my CRO can only buy so many things when it comes to sales productivity. So it reminds me, hey, we have to be really good at our jobs and we have to really know what the CRO cares about and have the right business cases because this space is only becoming more competitive. Like you mentioned, like that mutually agreed upon plan tool might affect my sales enablement budget next year. Who knows? I can't think of a time where anyone has quote unquote challenged or sold me anything where they came to me with something that I didn't think I needed, right? So in one case, you know, we knew we wanted a, an AI chat bot to help with support. I did the G2 crowd thing. So I did a ton of research. I shortlisted, I talked to people I knew. I shortlisted it down to basically, you know, ultimately two, I talked to probably five or six vendors. I went inbound, right? I talked to, ultimately whittled it down to two companies. And if I were to do a spreadsheet and compare features and functionality, it would be really hard to tell the difference between the two. And, you know, in the end, it was like, which company did I believe, did I trust, had my back? Right, because I'm putting my neck on the line to purchase, you know, this technology, and and often what you pay for the technology is a fraction of the cost. Like the real cost is in the implementation, um, any integrations that you need to do, right? Like that's where they're, and all the time that people are going to invest in using these technologies, like that's where the real cost is. The, the actual what you actually spend to buy these things is like often insignificant relative to those other costs. But yeah, like I trusted. You know, in this case, it was uh, Forethought Technologies is is the the solution that we bought. You know, and the implementation was work for some people. They probably can just turn it on and go. But you know, we have a lot of custom objects in Salesforce and have done some funky things. So if we didn't have that trust going into it, it could have blown up, right? And instead, when things got tough, I'll just say we like work through them as adults is almost the way to put it. But we were able to do that because there was so much stored stored trust. Uh, so yeah, I think that, that, I think I read somewhere like the the real work begins when you, after you close the deal, it's very true. So yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's true because otherwise it's bringing it full circle. The features and functionality are, are identical. Yeah. I love that. I can't wait to send this portion of our conversation to my reps and be like, here, listen to it from a buyer. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. You know, it's interesting. It goes back to our conversation, but like buyers have so much data at their disposal like they're using data as well they can get to like 60 to 70 percent and know what they need i love that you brought up the challenger model right it's like you made the good portion of the decision you know what you know seismic or sales loft is going into it you know the rep that wins over the trust the rep that 
does the data and the research or, you know, in your case, we would have brought in one of our customers, success managers to talk to you about how great of a partner we are post-sale, right? We would have gotten that read from you and understand that's what you care about a lot. So that's the play we would have run. So just being able to adapt and understand your buyer and, and do the 3D chess game. Well, 3D chess is a good way for us to have started and ended because I think enterprise sales, it's a, it's a really apt way to, to describe it. Well, Will, again, congrats on your, you know, your huge success, both literally on the field with your, uh, with your team from, from Marblehead High School. Congrats to them. And then, and then off the field and uh, your progression through, through Seismic. I'm assuming you, like uh, everybody, is desperately trying to hire talented people as, as fast as possible. Assuming people want to wanna come, come join Seismic, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, man, I respond to everyone on LinkedIn. I love being a, a coach. I love being a mentor. So anyone who's trying to get into technology or if you listen to this, I'm, I'm happy to help however I can. And thanks, Jeremy. And thanks, Salesloft, for being such great partners. It's been awesome. Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, good luck to you. And what, what's, the, what's the team name? Are they like the Marblehead Panthers or Titans or something? You're going to make fun of us. And it's a long story, but we're the Marblehead Magicians. I have not heard that one before, but I, I will wish the Marblehead Magicians good luck in their next season. We're unique. I appreciate that. All right. Be well. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.